0: so we are um we are in cat's new day yay cat is officially a homeowner so congratulations hey, thanks.
1: there's so much to- <laughs>
0: i love it though do you, remember so had, like, fun. Do you
1: remember how like crowded my apartment was oh, with all this
0: furniture i know now it's like you're an actual human right i know i'm a grown-up so like- <laughs> no it's awesome though it's very um it's very spacey yeah. you have your door open right now because you've got like a closed off patio it's pretty cool
1: the baron is watching over She's the window very majestic right watching now the birds. oh my
0: God. <laughs> <She's> so cute <laughs>
1: We're She's eating, been doing so well We're eating
0: house. snackies and drinking snackies wine. Snackies, snacks, wine.
1: <laughs> we, we're very prestigious right now. We've got our, our sausages uh, and our cheese sausages, <laughs> and our crackers that I didn't hand you. Here, look at
0: the crackers. <laughs> crackers. You can't, like, eat crackers we the recording. <laughs> it's going to be noisy.
1: I think it's going to be noisy no matter what we eat. <laughs> I
0: mean, that's true. But so we're... We're recording on a Monday, and Kat is crazy, and she's going to edit and publish this tomorrow. Tomorrow.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, but
0: it's been a crazy. Yeah,
1: it's been crazy. I The last few weeks, I feel so bad because I've just, I'm like, well, let's record this day. Well, hold on. Like, I moved last weekend, right? Last weekend? The weekend know. before. I think the week before. No, the weekend before. So I moved the weekend before, yeah. and I've been kind of trying to figure out how my life is going to be situated in this house. And then... Last weekend was Arizona, so my family mm. came back out and utilized the space. The space, and there's so. there's two extra rooms now, so they got to actually, you know, sleep in the house. And so now, did your
0: sister sit on? say Yeah, sleep. she sat on. Just <laughs> sleep on. Did she sleep on the couch, or did, did you have no? Like an she air mattress? no. She.
1: We were gonna oh. do an air mattress, but we just shared a bed. So because like, your sisters. Done. Yeah, because we're sisters. <laughs> I mean. It's, it's weird. It's like, <laughs> she just sleep on the floor. Yeah, she just. I'm like, Kelly, sleep on the tile. <laughs> no, but I need to do an appreciation alley. That's a thing now. Appreciation corner. Appreciation alley. You have to do the what's it called? Onomatopoeia or alliteration.
0: What is that? Where you do alliteration, where oh, it's oh. like double. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but this whole thing would not be possible without the help of my parents, both. In getting the house and then moving mm-hmm. into the house, I kept yelling at them because they were supposed to just come out and like watch. <laughs>
0: That's not your family,
1: though. I know they're yeah. they're Staubiter's house, where I get it from. But you're I like, just appreciate the shit out of them. I remember
0: you texted me and you're like, yeah, I told my parents not to like lift anything, and I'm like, well, because me we're met? all injured. Get the heavy I have,
1: like, and I keep forgetting that I've met them. Apparently, every time I see them, <laughs> you're
0: their child. They're very
1: proud of you, and yeah, they're gonna make sure you're. Covered. oh yeah but it was it was good this, the everything from the time you put in the offer to the time I got in here went so smooth like I just I,
0: I need you at some point to sit me down and walk me through the steps of how you did this. oh I totally will
1: and I already because, gave you Victoria yeah, yeah
0: I have Victoria
1: yeah. so my is
0: beautiful if I try to like talk to her she's gonna be like we're gonna go look at that and I'm
1: like oh I'm yeah there <laughs> well no she what she what she did for us was she set up um like a um, basically she sends you listings. You give her your parameters. So I gave gotcha. her, I want two or three bedrooms in this area, avoid this area. And then she just, she set it up to where it sends you houses. So it sends you, you, okay. you don't have to do the work. You do you just look at the listing she sends. You. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. So I would at least get that started. Okay. Yeah. So we are um,
0: officially in cat's new digs. Yeah. They're great. So, I love that. Yeah. There's a fly flying around you. there i'm just it's right there enjoying yeah. oh my god <laughs> I'm, like, I'm trying to enjoy my cheese and my wine
1: i love how you put the sausages all the way over there you're a goddamn monster where am i supposed to put them i don't know. where, where am i
0: just, supposed to put, put them? them somewhere Here we've look. got like recording equipment everywhere and chilling them. oh look mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm sure this sounds great that's just you know, i wish recording. i wish everyone could
1: have seen the face i just gave you <laughs> <laughs> but yes yeah, so we are back oh we, shit you guys didn't at all notice <laughs> the what has it been like two weeks since I've seen you like two or three weeks yeah because yeah. my life has been crazy for about two to three weeks <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. but yeah so yeah so we're back in front of each other's faces yeah. but Hi. we're back to your ear holes as per your later. ear holes I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop eating while talking. That's what I'm gonna drink my wine. You should drink your wine though.
1: Um, so this is Difficult Damsels.
0: I'm Rachel. I'm Kat. Hi, welcome. Yay! What episode are we even on? We are on episode seven. All right, so yeah, we are on episode seven, and our episode is Margaret of Anjou. Margaret Anjou will be the last of our difficult damsels kind of in the European era. (laughs) Sorry, not really area. Um I mean, you could say
1: the European
0: era. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to leave the European continent starting with the next episode, but this will be the last of our she wolves of England. Well, technically of France, but um, when they're
1: interchangeable <laughs> this whole time, <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs>
0: when when we when I started the first couple of episodes, I noticed everyone was kind of interconnected, so I basically wanted to tell a story. And now we are nearing the end of this particular story in which england tried to figure out can women rule uh, yes <laughs> yeah we're gonna end kind of on a not so great note unfortunately Spoiler alert but oh yeah because of who we're talking. yeah
1: about. but i'm excited for this episode because i know her from the white queen
0: and it's a very limited. And right? it's very
1: limited, and she's very she's portrayed as very villainous because she yes. is the second villain in that 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 show. And so. we
0: we are going to talk about why she's portrayed very villain villainously. villainously? <laughs> That's um, a word now, if anyone asks. So let me I'll get into my little description because it touches on it. So Margaret of Anjou was the queen consort of England to Henry VI. That's the other thing we are literally picking up from the last episode of Joan of Arc. Oh, yeah
1: you're right.
0: And um, she was one of the most prominent figures during the English Civil War, known as the War of the Roses. She is known to history by some as another she-wolf of France, and by other as the Red Queen, named as such for being the queen on the Lancastrian side of the conflict, whose sigil was the Red Rose. History has vilified Margaret of Anjou, thanks in large part to Shakespeare's historical place. Margaret enjoyed a unique amount of power in England, due in large part to her husband's frequent bouts of insanity, ruling England as well as personally leaving the Lancastrian faction during the War of the Roses. That's interesting that her
1: husband was the crazy one, but she was the mad queen. Yeah. But also I love the fact that you said, the english civil war like there was only one <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean this is probably the most <laughs> one famous, of so. the it is you're right this is but yeah like
0: everything everything we have about her personality comes from shakespeare's plays and I'm, i'll talk about it a little later but i started to watch the hollow crown and she like he just completely he sexualizes her he just makes her this like sexual deviant and manipulator and that's just not who she, I mean, as far as we know that's not who she was. But yeah. Again, we'll get into it, but it, it made me legitimately angry. Is that the show with Tom? Hiddleston? My husband if anyone. Hey mm-hmm. Tom. Yes, he plays Henry the V <laughs> and I highly recommend it. Oh yeah, if you want some Hundred Years war stuff oh, yeah. with him at the We're just doing some, uh,
1: some very sultry looks right now. We're
0: going to have to pause I, this. <laughs> I, I don't care about Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Oh, but as Henry the Fifth I will fight you. Oh my god, I
1: love him as Loki only because he's like tall, dark, and tragic.
0: Like I love them. So So you get to see him in two episodes of the Hollow No, in like three episodes two? Two episodes. So what you're telling me is the show ends after two episodes? Shakespeare's plays were the following Richard the Second, Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fifth, Henry the Sixth Part One, Henry the Sixth Part Two, Richard the Third. So Tom Hiddleston is in Henry IV as the prince, and he's basically this, like, drunken, doesn't give two shits about anything prince. Aren't they all? He's always in, like, brothels and bars and just having a good time, and Henry IV, like, he doesn't get along with his father because he doesn't take anything seriously. Dad then dies. Bam. Switches on a dime. And suddenly... Henry V taking over France. Okay. And yeah, I (laughs) highly recommend watching it. But yeah, okay, so. (laughs) Just circling back. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, this isn't a podcast about Henry V. This is about the women of history. (laughs) It's fun. I
1: love love when you go on.
0: (laughs) So just to give you an idea of who Margaret of Anjou was, Edward Hall had this to say of her, and he's just a, Kind of contemporary of the time. Great. (laughs) This woman excelled all other as well in beauty and favor, as in wit and policy, and was of stomach and courage more like to a man than a woman. Did you just
1: say was of stomach
0: and courage? Yes. Okay. So what we're going to find out with our famous women is that they earn reputations for being worthy of notice because they act so like a man
1: you get how dare you wear pants Joan of Arc (laughs) you
0: get all these compliments and it's like they were more woman than man which made them worthy but I did find it interesting right we're gonna have dogs barking in the background occupational hazard hi (laughs) so a little bit of historical context Um, The year Margaret of Anjou was born is 1431. This is the same year Joan of Arc is burned at the stake as a heretic in France. Oh, wow. So we are literally coming full circle. Yeah. (laughs) It was rolling right on through. In 1450, Machu Picchu is constructed in southern Peru. In 1453, Constantinople Falls to Mehmed II marking the end of the Byzantine Empire and the rise of the classical age of the Ottoman Empire. In 1469, Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella I of Castile marry and unify the country of Spain. In- is that uh, Catherine's mom? Mm-hmm. And dad? yep, yep. All right. We will do um, Isabella of Castile at some point. In 1478, the Great Mosque of Demak is constructed in Java, Indonesia, In 1481, the Spanish Inquisition begins, and then the years 1455 to 1485 mark the period known as the War of the Roses, Um, the English Civil War I already mentioned, between the houses of York and Lancaster. Margaret of Anjou will be our eyes into the Lancastrian side of the War of the Roses.
1: I'm excited, because like I said, like I, White Queen. Yeah, you know the York side. I know the York side, but I'm really excited to learn about the other side.
0: So, Margaret of Anjou was born on March 23rd, 1430, which makes her an Aries. Hail fucking yeah. I already know I I was like, hey, her birthday. Kat cat. is an, uh, an Aries. I actually, like, double-checked. I was like, wait, I know that's around. She's born
1: the day after my best friend in California. Hi, Clara. Hi. And she's born a week before me.
0: Yeah. Aries babies. oh yeah.
1: They like to stir shit up. We fucking do. You're damn right. <laughs> Even if it's uh, not
0: intentional. <laughs> we just can't help it. So Margaret had one hell of a pedigree. Not only could she trace her line all the way up through both Eleanor of Aquitaine and Empress Matilda, but she was also the granddaughter of Yolanda of Aragon and could thus claim to be descended from the Kings of Aragon in Spain as well. She oh, was wow. also King Charles VII of France's niece via his marriage to her aunt. Damn. Her father was René of Anjou, the Duke of Anjou and the King of Naples, Sicily and Jerusalem. Though this was kind of an empty title because although he was named king, he never actually ruled. Contemporaries of the time even called him a man of many crowns, but no kingdoms. Oh wow,
1: that's an interesting title to have, (laughs) I
0: would think. (laughs) Margaret's father spent much of her early childhood fighting First against rival claimants to his wife's Duchy and Lorraine. He was even captured at one point for a couple of years, ransomed, and then fled to Naples with his tail between his legs <laughs> to try and conquer the Kingdom of Naples in earnest, but alas to no avail. Damn it.
1: I <laughs> love how it has been super quiet. The last two weeks. Of and then course. all of a sudden you're here and we're recording well, it's
0: super fucking loud. So loved. we <laughs> will eventually be
1: Venturing up to the loft. Up to
0: the loft. Yeah, I think it'll it'll be a little
1: better, but yeah, yeah what it is. We, we might be fine. We might eventually move up to that room just to be able to lock F- ourselves in and
0: oh. a <laughs> <Precious-winked Andy. Hi. laughs> So and then of course there is her grandmother, Yolanda of Aragon, who ruled the Duchy of Anjou as her son's regent. Unless we forget, Yolanda of Aragon was one of Charles the chief advisors. She had helped bring Joan of Arc to meet Charles VII back when he was an exiled king. And Yolanda of Aragon actively propelled the English military presence in France during the Hundred Years' War from her duchy in Anjou. That was the double-headed lady. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> His stepmom. <laughs> yes. Uh, not stepmom, but um, mother-in- mother-in-law. Yeah, close enough. And then um, her mother as well also ruled in Lorraine while her husband was away trying to win kingdoms that he couldn't actually. And then running back with his table to like, like, mm-hmm. babe, this happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so many contemporaries of the time suggest that these women helped to inform the style of rule. Margaret would later go on to employ in England. She learned from a very young age that women were perfectly capable of ruling when their husbands and sons were absent. Women in England did not exercise a great amount of power in this time. Although women had been barred from inheriting the French crown due to the Salic law, they were still able to inherit lesser titles in feudal French society. The Salic law? Have you talked about that? I have not. But so basically, the Salic law...
1: Basically, it's the patriarchy as a poster.
0: Yeah. So in France, this was, again, you remember during Isabella of France, her brothers? Yeah. So, in order to make sure the throne passed to them and not their nieces, they enacted the Salic Law, which completely kept women out of the line of succession for the French crown. Of course. But anyway, so women didn't really have a contemporary example. The last time they had an example, it was Isabella of France, 100 years previous to this, which obviously left a sour taste in the mouths of the English. <laughs> So basically, Margaret grew up in a country where women could rule, and this is going to kind of backfire against her. Like the women road. proved that they could. Yes. And, and, and they they, they had well, the um, legal recourse to do so.
1: Yes. All right. Um, so it kind of almost gives her an ego trip to start.
0: It doesn't give her an ego trip. It's just she's literally seen an example of women leading when the men in their lives were incapable of doing so. Mm-hmm. And so it, that's what she grew up with. Yeah. Whereas in England, there was nothing of the sort. Yeah. So that being said, Margaret was never intended to be a queen. So it is now the year 1444, and we are finally nearing the end of the Hundred Years' War. The crown of France had been contested intermittently for the last hundred years or so, thanks in large part to the claim Edward III of England had through his mother, Isabella, of France. The last couple of decades up to this point have seen the country of France devastated by English invasion and French Civil War. If you want the full details of this time period, go back and listen to the episodes on Joan of Arc of this podcast. Yeah, go back. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) So by now, Joan of Arc is dead, but her legacy lived on in Charles VII reclaiming the French throne for France and slowly but surely driving the English out and reclaiming all lost territory. By the beginning of 1444, it is the English who are now seeking a truce with France. And as I'm sure we are all starting to figure out by now, the best way to secure a truce...
1: No, don't do it. Don't dare.
0: ...is through marriage.
1: <laughs> ...to a five-year-old. As long as you're not John, who's like, I'm lusting after a 12-year-old. Are you
0: kidding? Right. <laughs> And it just so happens that Henry the Sixth of England is in need of a wife. So Charles, What is he now?
1: Ten? No, so he's he's in his twenties. Oh, okay.
0: The question is, how old is Margaret? Oh God, I don't want you
1: to answer this question for so many reasons, so, but you're going to, I know you are.
0: Charles the Seventh had plenty of eligible daughters, but he was not about to offer up a princess of France this time to a man who still claimed the right to his throne. Instead He's going to offer up a niece and 14 year old Margaret of Anjou. I guess I should be happy. to getting a
1: little <laughs> bit older.
0: Henry VI is, I believe, 23.
1: Still not great, but <laughs> not great time but. period. We're getting better.
0: <laughs> Think about how a little over 20 years before this, Henry V had conquered France and his reward was a French princess. Yes. And now we are 20-some-odd years later. It's it's like 25 years later. (laughs) And like, you can't have my girls. You can have my niece. And that's... That's that's, rude.
1: (laughs) Right? Yeah. So
0: basically, that's how far we've come in I mean,
1: I get it because of what has just happened and what has just ended. Yeah. The Shaisa thing went through. So so Margaret wasn't... Joan,
0: but still. ...necessarily the greatest surprises. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) according to the English... A marriage to Margaret did, however, come with the promise of a two-year truce with France, and the Duchy of Anjou in France would also serve as a bit of a buffer between what little territory remained to England and Normandy. And on March 24th, 1444, Margaret was married to Henry VI via a proxy in the form of 47-year-old William de la Pole, the Earl of Suffolk. This is where Shakespeare pissed me off, because in Henry VI's part one the Earl of Suffolk is completely just painted as this utter villain and he finds Margaret of Anjou and he's you know he's in his 40s and she doesn't look like she's in like she's 14 or 15 but they have it where like they have this romance and I'm like no so (laughs) So much now like why 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 was this necessary because women cannot be Main
1: characters without being the love interest. That's still actually a Well band. yeah, he
0: was basically like, You're gonna marry the king, but really you're gonna be mine and I was like Oh fuck off Shakespeare. <laughs> I'm gonna be saying fuck off Shakespeare a lot. That's fine. He's dead. you he have been care. warned.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, I would just like to point out that Anya is aggressive starting at you. <laughs> I mean she was, she's not every movie you make every breath you take <laughs> the bear will be watching you. <laughs>
0: She's watching you. I Look at this. Feel like me. It's on you. <laughs> <laughs> I have to sing at least once in every yeah, she episode. wrong. <laughs> All right. So Margaret was apparently sick when she finally boarded the boat that would take her across the English Channel to her new kingdom. And because the gods like to add insult to injury more often than not, it was during another particularly violent storm that made sure to make the journey as miserable as possible. Actually. I just want to point out that my work chat is still going off. Yeah, I'm like, who like, the fuck is still working? Stop.
1: <laughs> stop it.
0: <laughs> Two weeks later, she finally meets her husband and marries him in earnest. Now, Henry VI is not like any of the previous kings of England we've talked about, and I'm going to take a little bit of time to tell you about him. Henry VI is the son of Henry V and the great-great-grandson of Edward III. Unlike these two domineering and martial English kings, Henry VI had absolutely no aptitude or interest in military conquest. More so, he was often described as having this almost childlike wonder and innocence when he approached the world. Despite the fact that he is now 23 and should have stepped into his full authority, his nobles were still very involved in the governance of his realm. And yes, this was as concerning to them as you might expect it to be. Through his mother, Catherine of Valois, Henry VI was also the grandson of the Mad King, Charles VI of France. You'll recall from the Joan of Arc episodes that Charles VI was prone to bouts of mania. He was intermittently rendered catatonic and at times believed himself to be fragile and made entirely of glass. Although Henry VI has yet to exhibit any blatant evidence of mental illness, it would not be long before he'd have his own episodes.
1: Oh, no. That's yeah. interesting that he thought he was glass. Yeah. I thought, I, I was like, do you mean like people thought he was fragile? And you just kept going. I was like, no.
0: No, wow. no, no. He literally thought he was made of glass. He he made of so glass. I guess he had, um, I think it was metal rods sewn into his clothing to like stabilize him. Hold him up? He thought it like helped keep him from breaking. It's kind of sad. A little bit. This is the danger of a feudal society that's where your kings are decided by birthright and yeah. bloodline. You don't and know what you're going to get. Yeah.
1: yeah, especially, and you don't know what you're going to get, and then it's very hard to remove a bloodline without
0: war. And the opposite feudal option of that we are going to learn about in our next episode, and it's worse. Oh no, but better for us because it's a good story. Oh okay, wow. (laughs) Uh, Yep. Okay. I'm going to have so much fun with it. (laughs) Okay, I'm excited. The early years of the marriage between Margaret and Henry were notably happy. They appeared to genuinely enjoy each other's company, and often elected to spend together time together by choice. But the fact that Henry VI was such an amiable and guileless king was a bit problematic. His passiveness led him to accepting pretty much any proposal that was thrown his way, often completely ignorant to the greater context of whatever situation was put to him. Kings weren't supposed to make everyone happy. They were supposed to dish out the law and maintain a sense of order in the realm, often weighing rival claims of land against the greater good for the whole, or at least That's what the good kings tried to do. (laughs) Now, the Duke of Suffolk had stepped up to be the intermediary between Henry VI and his subjects. This was not like the relationship we saw with Edward II and his favorites in Gaveston and Dispenser. Suffolk actually did what he could to keep the ship afloat and help Henry VI to govern the realm, and had been his chief advisor up to this point. Margaret's first important task as queen was to help in the negotiations between England and France, when it came to the county of Maine in France. So Maine was under English control at this point and was wedged between English-controlled Normandy to the north in France and Margaret's county of Anjou to the south. Behind closed doors, the Earl of Suffolk agreed to relinquish control of Maine to France in exchange for a 20 years ceasefire and Margaret had been instrumental in lending her voice to this treaty. So again, when she was first married, Anya is so cute. <laughs> Anya is sitting I'm on catch chest. Literally being attached. Like it's a problematic. So when Margaret was first married, part of the truce was a two-year truce. Okay. And now by negotiating giving up the county of Maine, it'll be a 20 years ceasefire. As
1: long as the people who agree to it
0: remain in power. Or stick to it, yes. I don't know. <laughs> so it was an unpopular move in England in the long run. Despite being diplomatically sound, Margaret and the Earl of Suffolk encountered much the same nationalistic backlash that Isabella had when she made that formal peace with Scotland 100 years earlier. But it didn't matter. Henry VI remained ever passive and did little to actually enforce the English's terms of the agreement. The English remaining in Maine refused to cede it to the French and Charles VII took that as his sign to disregard the treaty entirely. Of course, it only takes a little bit. He took the county of Maine by force swiftly and two months later he marched on Normandy and took that as well. So the fall of Normandy had long-lasting ramifications for the Earl of Suffolk. Despite the fact that he had not acted alone, the English nobility still needed a scapegoat because, again, it's never actually the king's fault. No, never. <laughs> never. Suffolk, Suffolk was an easy target being as close as he was to Henry VI. He submitted to the will of parliament and was exiled for five years. I wish his story had a happy ending oh, wow. because he genuinely seemed like a hey, kind of okay dude for that time. <laughs> But as he was fleeing England, people were literally rioting in the streets over the loss of Normandy. Oh
1: wow! Yeah, and they made him the the reason for it. Yep. So that's probably so not well
0: for him. His ship was intercepted by another ship. The crew staged a mock trial, convicted Suffolk of treason, and said they had to act because the king was incapable of doing so himself. Oh wow! And then they chopped off the Earl of <sighs> Suffolk's head with a rusty sword. Oof! Rip. Did you? It did. Oh no. <laughs> Margaret oh, and Henry had little time to mourn Suffolk's loss. A rebel by the name of Jack Cade stirred up discontent in the South and incited a rebellious mob to march on London. The crux of the rebellion was inspired by the astronomical losses in France and was waged against an enemy that should be familiar to us by now. Mm. The False Council of the King. So the rebellion was short-lived. I guess the Londoners ended up rallying against the rebels that had broken into their city, because while they were sympathetic to the revolt's cause, they were not particularly happy with the fact that the rebels were burning and looting their city. Hmm. So they were like, "You're yeah, like, okay, we, yeah, yeah, we
1: get it, but like, why, why you burning our things? Yeah, something. like we're we're not."
0: The castle. Like yeah. Stay out of our city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as we're learning, Londoners are famous for being like, no, we're not going to deal with it. You, <laughs> you want to be the chill. queen, Matilda? Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Following the revolt, it was Margaret who stepped up and displayed some of that queenly soft power we've talked about before, publicly begging and pleading with the king to show mercy with a royal pardon. Most of the rebels took it and left. Jack Cade was not so lucky. He was publicly beheaded and then drawn and quartered so that his body pieces could be dispersed across the country as a warning of the fate that awaited rebel leaders.
1: That's why you never be a rebel leader. You don't see the face <laughs> of the rebellion. you be in the background calling the shots. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But <laughs> so maybe don't burn the town of London. Also, don't fuck their with Londoners.
1: Will not. They will kick you the fuck okay out faster than the king's army will.
0: <laughs> Without someone such as Suffolk to serve as a buffer between conflicting interests amongst the nobility and their guileless king, it soon became clear just how dangerous a pliable king could be for the stability of the realm. The death of the Earl of Suffolk had left a power vacuum around Henry VI, and several nobles were eager to fill the spot. Though not everyone who vied for that spot necessarily had the king's best interests in mind. What? Or the
1: realm for that matter. What? You mean people who go into power don't give a shit about everyone but themselves?
0: Yeah. So the two chief contenders for control of the government were Richard Plantagenet, the Duke of York. I
1: know that name.
0: (laughs) And Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset. and I'm gonna take a little time to talk about them both so we can set up the War of the Roses. <laughs> You're so excited!
1: <laughs> well, this is this is this was my war of the roses was my intro into like English history. Yes,
0: yeah, I think that's a lot of people, has been popularized yeah. a lot, yeah. so it's a very interesting time period. So, Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset, was descended from Edward III via his son John of Gaunt. I have a Oh, I was like, what are you pointing at? You want crackers? Which one? <laughs> but I brought I brought my book, but it has a family tree. It's She-Wolves yes. by Helen Castor. So Edmund Beaufort, just find John of Gaunt at the top. Where he is, and then I right got here. John, oh, I got John Beaufort. And then, uh, there we yeah, go. trace it down. So John of Gaunt had married his longtime mistress, Catherine Swinford, and the oh. children they already had were thus legitimized. It was kind of a shoddy legitimization. But I was gonna say, that. does that
1: actually work? Can you like reverse?
0: I would, legitimize? Im- I would imagine in his case, because A, his brother is Edward III, mm. and it's not likely that these that his line's gonna end up as king. You quote, like unquote. quote unquote. Quote <laughs> unquote. So yeah. I gotcha. In that I gotcha. instance. Kind of a shoddy legitimization, but it meant that the Beaufort family bloodline had been legitimized and was thus very close to Henry VI's Lancastrian bloodline. Edmund Beaufort was one of Edward VI's closest advisors along with Suffolk. He helped draft the failed treaty between England and France regarding the county of Maine. And even more humiliatingly, he had been the commander in Normandy that had surrendered the duchy to the French. When people complained of the king's false counselors, they were speaking of Beaufort. Okay. From the opposing side, we have Richard Plantagenet, Duke of York. Richard Plantagenet had also been descended from Edward III through his sons, Lionel, Duke of Clarence, and Edmund, Duke of York. So, you didn't catch the fact that he was descended from two sons? Well, <laughs> Richard's mother was descended from Lionel and his father from Edmund. They're all cousins. This is why it's called the Cousins' War. you yeah. <laughs> Cousins a couple of times removed, but Lionel's yeah. Who mm-hmm. was the other one? Edward? Edmund. Edmund. Yes. And you'll notice Lionel is the Duke of Clarence. Mm hmm. Duke of York. York. And then remember George of Clarence? Oh snap. Yeah, oh so this Kirk. is where all their titles come from. I want a cracker. I want a cracker right there. So now Richard Plantagenet was one of the few nobles who could claim to have played absolutely no role in the fall of France. He had been appointed the king's lieutenant in Ireland and thus was in a completely different country when that entire fiasco went down.
1: I wasn't there, guys. <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong. You're
0: welcome. <laughs> and so it was Richard Plantagenet who adopted the people's frustrations and so named the men surrounding the king his equal counselors. And he put himself forth as a remedy to those evils. He was, after all, of royal blood himself. Who better to root out corruption and guide the kingdom?
1: <laughs> we need to have a conversation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Much of what we know of the War of the Roses actually comes from Shakespeare, as I've already mentioned. Most people are familiar with his comedies and tragedies, many of which, you know, the Taming of the Shrew, Othello, Hamlet, they've all enjoyed a number of adaptations in the modern age. But his historical plays were equally popular in Shakespeare's time, and some people even speculate that the plays of Henry IV, V, VI, and Richard III were commissioned by Queen Elizabeth to rewrite history to paint the Plantagenets, and Yorks as the villains of history and the Tudors as the unifying heroes following the War of the Roses. Of
1: course. All it takes is a couple nice words in the, in the right spot. Well, yeah. Well, she had Rose.
0: to, I mean, she was technically illegitimate, too, so she had to legitimize her own reign. Yeah. So very interesting how art can be used by politicians to.
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Have you been paying attention to <laughs> So again, just something to keep in mind. Shakespeare skillfully painted Margaret of Anjou as this dangerous, overreaching, selfish Femme a literal she-wolf in some cases, and that image stuck for centuries after his plays were published and performed. Um, and again, you can watch the adaptation of all of these um, in a BBC series called The Hollow Crown. It's broken up into two parts, so you get Richard... The 2nd, Henry the 4th, and Henry the 5th for part 1, and then part 2 is Henry the 6th and Richard the All right. So on July 17, 1453, England suffers yet another devastating military blow in France with the fall of Gascony. Gascony was the last remaining territory in France left to the English in the south. It was the last portion of the Duchy of Aquitaine that remained to England. With the fall of Gascony, went the legacy of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Damn
1: it. <laughs> I'm assuming it fell to France? Yes. Okay.
0: Charles VII.
1: I mean, it could have been assumed, but.
0: <laughs> so the Earl of Shrewsbury also mm-hmm. dies during this fall. I love that
1: title. <laughs> I want someone to write something. It's, it's the same guy. And it to be a joke. Story. From the Joan of Arc. So. No, I know, but Shrewsbury yeah. is just such a ridiculous name.
0: <laughs> so this this was a big deal for England. It's fine, we're gonna. Anya's playing in the background. She's literally move.
1: like running across the living room with a catnip mouse, literally. but um, also known as crack mouse in this house.
0: So, the Earl of Shrewsbury had been known as the English Achilles. Obviously, he was like the boogeyman to the French, thought to be undefeatable. Here's where he dies. It's weird how humans are fallible. <laughs> His loss was as devastating to the royalists as it had been just to England in general. And even more than that, the loss of Gascony seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back with Henry VI. Because when news of Gascony reached his court, he suffered his first complete and total breakdown. Uh So similar to his grandfather, Charles VI of France, Henry VI was completely unresponsive and sat catatonic. He apparently did not recognize any of his courtiers and was unable to speak, eat, or move without the aid of servants to attend him. Margaret is 23 years old at this point and approximately seven and a half months pregnant.
1: What do you do when you're 23, seven and a half months pregnant, your husband's over here just like hanging out, staring at the wall? We're about
0: to find out. So on October 13th, 1453, Margaret gives birth to their only son named Edward. We'll call him Edward of Westminster to distinguish him from another Edward that's on the beach. All of the goddamn Edwards, and Richard later on. <laughs> so Henry the is still catatonic when she gives birth to their son, and there's no clear understanding at this point over who rules the realm when the king is unable. And as you, someone's about to raise their hand. As you can imagine, this puts Margaret in a very precarious position. She is now the mother of the heir to the English throne and has a very personal stake in what now happens in England. And
1: also grew up watching women control.
0: Yes, Elliot. Yeah. So prior to the birth of her son, Margaret exhibited the ornamental queen consort position we might expect. She did not appear to take any active role in politics and mostly stuck to ceremonial displays of soft power and making a show of piety at churches. One thing all the chroniclers seem to agree on is that following the birth of Edward, she took her first assertive step into the political realm. Three months after the birth of Edward, Margaret was already penning bills and articles of rule. She requests the right to appoint court offices such as chancellor and treasurer along with access to the privy seal. She also requests the right to appoint sheriffs and bishoprics in England. At this point, Margaret requests to have the whole rule of this land in the name of her husband and her infant son. She is essentially asserting her desire to be the regent for her husband and have all the powers of his office while he remains catatonic. Oh yeah. This was an unprecedented move at the time. The previous queen consort, Catherine of Valois, had been content to remove herself from political life when Henry V died, and Henry VI ascended to the English throne as an infant. There were no contemporary examples of women in England ruling, and the most recent example was over 100 years back, again, with Isabella of France, Mm -hmm. which, not a great example. Yeah,
1: didn't go over too well.
0: (laughs) For Margaret, though, it was common sense. She had seen women rule very successfully back in France. So, as Margaret made her moves, Richard Plantagenet also made his moves. The Duke of York was the most powerful magnate in the kingdom at this point, due in large part to the land and the wealth that he owned along with his royal blood. He insisted that these factors made him the senior noble of the peerage and thus granted him the right to rule as the king's regent. Richard Plantagenet also had his rival, the Duke of Somerset. Arrested immediately and imprisoned in the Tower of London. He had named the Duke of Somerset for a traitor, saying he deliberately schemed to lose English territory in France. So, the thing that Margaret had going against her in her self assertion was the fact that her husband was still alive and, in effect, plainless. This was not a king that had turned tyrannical in the face of his favorite's presumptiveness, as had been the case with Edward II. The king was also present in England. He was not physically absent due to warring in the Crusades, as Richard the Lionheart had been when he granted his mother, the Eleanor of Aquitaine, power to rule in his name. There was literally no precedent in existence for a, a woman to rule in place of a king that literally stood next to her. And on top of that, she was French, and France had delivered several devastating military blows to England following the death of Joan of Arc. She was literally the face of the people responsible for England's humiliation, and now she dared to assert her rule in England itself.
1: Wow. How (laughs) dare she?
0: So the nobility of England politely declined Margaret's request of the regency.
1: Was it
0: polite? It was pretty polite.
1: They didn't kill her, I guess. At this point. At
0: this point, it's pretty
1: polite. Oh, okay. Okay. Starts off
0: nice. So just as the council has been formed to rule in Henry VI's name when he ascended to the throne as an infant, so too had it been been reformed now. The Duke of York was named the protector of the realm, and to ease the concerns Margaret had for her son's line in the succession, he was named the Prince of Wales and the Earl of Chester as a sign of the council's loyalty. 16 months after Henry VI had his first breakdown, he miraculously regains his faculties on Christmas in 1154. Interesting. Exactly. You know what? I mean, exactly. That's that's exactly what I was thinking. It's always Christmas or Palm Sunday. Yeah. So I think they lied. Yeah. But anyway. I think, they, I
1: think they may have um, stretched the truth and the days Just to make to it seem
0: miraculous. It.
1: Oh, it's miraculous. Because it's, time it's to always, Christmas. And, yeah. always Christmas. Always
0: Christmas. Yeah. Like it wasn't Christmas. it was like December 2nd. It was probably December like first. <laughs> it's probably like September probably.
1: That's the only two dates that exist in religious
0: times. So, uh. <laughs> not long after he um, basically comes back <laughs> Ta-da, bitch, <she's> back. <laughs> Margaret brought their son to meet his father for the first time and the Duke of Somerset was released from the Tower of London all charges of treason immediately dropped. The Duke of York had ruled the realm about as well as could be expected given the circumstances, but his treatment of Somerset meant that his position at court was now precarious. The Duke of York left court a little over a month later, and it wasn't long before he gained a new ally in the form of his brother-in-law, Richard Neville, the Earl of Salisbury, along with Richard Neville's powerful son, also named Richard, the Earl of
1: Warwick.
0: Hey, you know that name? it's that (laughs) one. I heard
1: Neville
0: and I was like, wait a minute. So everything comes to a head when Margaret calls for a great council to assemble the peers of the realm in order to protect the king against his enemies in the city of Leicester. The Yorkists were not invited to the council, so it became clear to the Dukes of York, Salisbury, and Warwick that Margaret and the Royalists considered them enemies. So, okay. <laughs> Before the Royalist faction could reach Leicester, the Dukes of York, Salisbury, and Warwick, from here on out, I'll just call them the Yorkists, assemble a huge army to intercept the Lancastrian faction at the first battle of St. Albans on May twenty second, fourteen
1: fifty five.
0: the day after mom's birthday. Not the year, bit. obviously. She's not the <laughs> <laughs> vampire.
1: <laughs> Yes, I
0: forgot to tell you. <laughs> so, this battle was fought within the narrow streets of St. Albans, literally in front of the town people's shops and in their backyards. And due to the narrow confinement of the city streets, the casualties were few but calculated. And unfortunately for Margaret, Edmund Beaufort, the Earl of Somerset, had been amongst the casualties. It's been suggested that the Yorkists basically. Targeted the lieutenant. Yeah, so they could weaken the Lancastrian regime. I
1: mean, strategically speaking, yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So Henry himself apparently stood completely dazed under his battle, under his banner in the market square of the city, while his people died around him. He was just blank faced and ineffectual. He did not fight at all, and it seems like he wasn't entirely sure of what was going on around him. Oh
1: my God! <laughs> Can you? Just- For just for a second, take a minute to just imagine that, like you are just hanging out at your favorite cafe. It's not a cafe. I'm sorry, but what's wrong with that? And then your city gets attacked. People are dying in the streets, and your king's just like, "Hmm." (laughs) like crickets are chirping around him.
0: (laughs) More like the birds in the trees. He seemed to be having a good time. Following the events of the first Battle of St Albans, the Duke of York had been welcomed back into the king's company after kneeling to Henry VI following his own victory, and literally crowning Henry VI himself. So when Henry VI returned to his queen in London, he was surrounded by York soldiers. It was a clear public display of which faction was now in charge. So at this point, Margaret perceived the Duke of York as an outright threat to her husband's reign and the future of her son. The Duke of York was the next adult in the line of succession after Henry VI. You'll also remember that we talked about how Richard Plantagenet was descended from Edward III through two different sons. On his father's side, he was descended from the fourth son, Edmund, Duke of York. But on his mother's side, he was descended from Lionel, the Duke of Clarence, who had been Edward III's second son. Why does this matter? (laughs) So normally, the line of succession flows through the male line. This is why the sons of John of Gaunt, who had been Edward III's third son, had been kings. It's through John of Gaunt that we get Edward, sorry, not Edward, Henry IV, V, and sixth. You have five ways to choose one, Rachel. Come on. I know. <laughs> if England sticks to strictly using the male line, Henry VI is the true, undisputed king through, Henry, through Edward III's third son. But if the nobles decide to allow the female line of succession for consideration, Richard Plantagenet has a more senior claim, because he descends from Edward III's second son. So normally they wouldn't even consider it, but now they're kind of like, hmm. Our king literally sits just staring at the sky, cloud-gazing, when- king has
1: legitimate issues. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So Margaret is nervous now, and I honestly think she has every right to be. There are clearly more capable men than her husband, swarming the throne like vultures. Their loyalty to the king is shoddy at best. She is an heir to the throne now, but he is an infant. And if the Duke of York and his allies could draw their, their swords on a lawful, anointed, and crowned king, what would happen if he suddenly died and her infant child became king? And to be fair, the Duke of York was also nervous. By killing the Duke of Somerset, a new but also old precedent had been set. We've already talked about what happens when nobles go to war with one one another back during Edward II's reign. It becomes a slippery slope, and it definitely became a bit of a stain on the Duke of York's name, along with the Dukes of Salisbury and Warwick. So while the Duke of York submitted himself Once more for the title of protector of the realm, a new rival to his power grab emerged. But rather than another powerful duke or earl, it was the queen who emerged. So Margaret of Anjou would lead the protectorate. Like Isabella of France, she put herself forward on behalf of her son and her husband. She could be trusted to act in good faith for them both as the wife of one king and the mother of a future king. And on February 25th, 1456, the Duke of York officially resigned as protector of the realm, his support amongst the nobility quickly dissipating as Margaret emerged on the political scene with her intentions made explicitly known to the court. Interesting. So London becomes comically empty of nobles at this point as they all retreat to their own fortresses. As a Lancastrian queen, Margaret moved to her fortress of Tutbury in the Duchy of Lancaster. The Duchy of Lancaster was the largest and wealthiest duchy of England at this point. Interestingly enough, Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. House Lannister, is inspired by House Lancaster. Interesting. And um, in the books, I I think it's touched on the show, but in the books, House Lannister is known for the wealth of their lands. So the Duke of York also retreats to his castle in West Yorkshire, and the Earl of Warwick retreats to his fortress in Warwick. I like to think of them as little pieces on, like, a chessboard or a game like the Settlers of Catan. (laughs) Everyone's gathering their resources, they're eyeing each other across the board suspiciously, waiting to see who is going to act first. You know, maybe try to steal somebody's lumber or farm token, which, of course, would mean war. Henry VI eventually joins up with his wife and son, and they go on a propaganda tour that culminates in this lavish and religious pageant in the town of Coventry, where the four cardinal virtues of righteousness, temperance, strength, and prudence all pledge their fealty to the figure of St. Margaret, which is an obvious stand-in for the queen. Interesting. So yeah, you get a lot of like propaganda pageants when you're trying to get your support around the kingdom. Yeah. Like, they're all pledging themselves to me, these great virtues. <laughs> if you want to possess these great virtues, you too must pledge yourself to me. So,
1: like, hard eye happening everywhere. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so Margaret then begins to make her moves in reshaping the government by putting loyalists in positions and offices that she knew would serve her and her family in good faith. Amongst them was the new Earl of Shrewsbury, who had been named the king's treasurer. It is also around this time that we get reports that whenever Margaret traveled around the country, she would always lead the procession in much the same manner that you would expect the king to lead the procession.
1: Yes.
0: So I guess, like, the mayors and the sheriffs of the various towns would be ordered to ride behind her and carry the royal insignia. How <laughs> dare she? It's almost day. as if she were a queen regnant at this point, rather than a queen consort. And she is 26. So the more Margaret asserts herself, the more it starts to kind of backfire against her. Her husband was already this hapless, ineffectual, and completely pliable king. By asserting her own will, it served to emasculate the king even further, because again, the patriarchy. (laughs) If a woman could rule her husband, it must mean her husband is weak, and a weak king of England is nobody any good. In fact, Weak kings often find themselves suffering tragic fates. Just ask Edward II and Richard II. It
1: just, it just floors me. It's like, they look, now you think so like, again. He's he, literally having episodes of just not being yeah, He's there,
0: divine by God.
1: But he's having episodes. He literally he's sat in
0: watching, watching a town. It's not his fault. Meredared.
1: His wife. And, and now because him. his wife is being like, bitch, get it together, or I will, <laughs> suddenly they're like, oh yeah, he might be weak. Like, no, no, I mean, it's not a new thing, but okay.
0: <laughs> so we do get another brief temporary piece orchestrated by one of the archbishops of England. It culminates in this comical spectacle of Yorkist and Lancastrian factions literally walking down the streets of London hand in hand with one another. Ew. You have Margaret of Anjou and the Duke of York bringing up the rear of the procession, walking hand in hand as the leaders of the two rival factions, supposedly signifying their reconciliation. Who started
1: saying kumbaya?
0: (laughs) And sure enough, this temporary peace was also short-lived. What? (laughs) Duke, Come on! The Duke of York is reinstated as the head of Henry VI's protectorate, which of course pisses off Margaret of
1: Anjou. She's like, this whole thing was orchestrated so that <laughs> <but> he <laughs> remains away.
0: <laughs> you also have the Earl of Warwick, who was notoriously hot headed, nearly coming to blows with members of the royal household in London.
1: So he'd be <laughs> me. I'd be him. <laughs> yes.
0: You would. <laughs> so when he fled. Do you want to fight. When, when he fled, his father, the Earl of Salisbury and the Duke of York, both left London with him. <laughs> for Margaret's part, and this is where you'll see the bulk of the criticism against her, she found herself drawing a very strict and narrow partisan line between supporters of the crown and the traitors. If she caught any whiff of sympathy or support for any of the Yorkists, she named these people for traitors. By this point, Margaret had absolutely no intention of ever finding a middle ground with York, Salisbury, or work.
1: She's drawing a hard line.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. It's at this point that the Yorkists commit themselves to open warfare against royalist forces at the Battle of Bloor Heath. I think that's how it's said. God yeah, bless you. <laughs> the Earl of Salisbury delivered another blow to Lancastrian forces when Lord Audley was slain, along with 2,000 men. And when more royalist forces intercepted the Yorkist army bearing the king's standard, much of Warwick's army just melts away on its own. Because the moment- yeah, They're
1: like, we're gonna just.
0: Yeah, I guess like the moment the king's standard appears, they're like, yeah. yeah, we're not fighting the king. No no, no, no,
1: like it's it's okay to like outright fight someone else, but when you outright fight the king, especially with her hard line that she's drawn, they're like,
0: we choose life,
1: we're
0: gonna- really The Duke of York flees with his son, Edmund, to Ireland. Salisbury retreats with his son Warwick and the Duke of York's eldest son Edward flee to Calais in France. Yes, it's that Edward. Okay. Oh <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so at this point, Margaret declares them all openly for traitors. The Duke of York's wife and younger children, which would include George and Richard, are captured and placed into custody because they re- they had remained behind in England. And then having he just took the one kid. He had... Or was it a manner of like... It was more like they were fighting together. Edward was with him, and then the others were just younger, so they were with his wife. Gotcha. But yeah, he abandoned them. I mean, still Great guy. Still the same. So having named the Dukes of York, Salisbury, and Warwick, and their family for traitors, their lands were plundered and forfeited to the crown. Margaret's base and the centralization of her government at this point is in Coventry. The Plantagenets control the middle portions of England and the Northwest. Having moved her court to Coventry, she slowly began to lose support in the South, including London. Normally, this would be the point where a difficult damsel would be gathering support to invade England. But this time, it's Margaret who is ushering the support she does have to repel an invasion from the Yorks. So the Duke of York, along with his son Edward and the earls of Salisbury and Warwick land in the south and find themselves making it to London with little pushback. From there, they march north to meet Margaret's army between London and Coventry. So Coventry is just a little north of London. Mm -hmm. Margaret encounters much the same obstacles that Empress Matilda had, relying entirely upon her supporters to lead the army while she and her son stayed behind the safety of the castle walls in Coventry. And then she gets... Reports from the battlefield. She's not actually there. Okay. The battle is laughably short. Henry VI had remained inactive in his pavilion on the field, offering absolutely zero support to the soldiers and commanders that died all around him. When the Yorkists found him, they took him into custody. He went without a fight, and it's said that he even rode meekly beside his cousins as he was taken back to London. Oh. Margaret's support was gradually being killed off. But she still had a few allies remaining to her, chief amongst them being Edward VI's half brother, Jasper Tudor, the Earl of Pembroke, and the young Edmund Beaufort, Duke of Somerset. I believe this is Margaret Beaufort's cousin. Edmund Beaufort? I think so. It's another Edmund. Maybe I have it wrong. Whatever, it's like her cousin. I was like, he's up here. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do this so there's Edmund Beaufort which is like her cousin and then there's Jasper Tudor which is the love of her life and Henry VII's guardian oh yeah yeah okay okay it's that Jasper (laughs) so I knew Jasper (laughs) so as they all worked to coordinate their armies the Yorkist faction marched through London escorting the captured king through the streets while Richard Plantagenet, the Duke of York, carried the royal standard above his head. The banners they displayed were that of Lionel of Clarence, who had been the second son of Edward III. These were the blue and white banners that are generally associated with the House of York, along with their white rose sigil. I know this probably doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but by conducting this procession with the York banners flying and the royal standard above Richard Plantagenet's head, he was basically declaring that he had the the senior claim to the throne of England. Again, Richard Plantagenet descended from Edward III's second son, whereas Henry VI is descended through Edward III's third son. He's stating very clearly now that he has the senior claim and he should be king. (laughs) Despite making his intentions clear, the nobles did not move to affirm Richard Plantagenet. In fact, they were relatively horrified by this action. Because again, Henry VI was clearly unable to rule himself, but he was no tyrant. And I would imagine that despite being distant history now, the nobles were familiar enough with the fates of Edward II and Richard II. You don't know who Richard II is, right? So he's Edward III's first son, mm-hmm. but he was also he had the temperament of Edward II, mm-hmm. and um, he was murdered by his family. Oh, that's that's <laughs> not something you breeze on over. But alright. <laughs> so both had been murdered to be removed from the throne, and they feared that this might happen to Henry VI. Yeah. And Richard Plantagenet had too much blood on his hands. So the agreement Parliament ultimately came to was this. Henry VI would retain his throne, but when he died, it would pass to his cousin, Richard Plantagenet. For Parliament, it was a compromise. Henry VI retains his throne, but Richard Plantagenet's claims were also acknowledged. So long as he acted in good faith for Henry, everything would be roses, right? I like it, you just
1: need roses, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: You like my little poem? I like it, that's good. <laughs> Wrong bitches. She also think- did
1: some hard eyebrow twitches at me. So,
0: I think Margaret's just gonna sit by and let her son be disinherited. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure not. <laughs> so, at this point, Margaret makes for Scotland to try and stir up Scottish support while Jasper Tudor and the Earl of Northumberland both gra- gather their own military forces to march against the Yorks. The Duke of York and the Duke of Salisbury moved their armies north in an attempt to cut off the Lancastrian Duke of Somerset before he could reach the Earl of Northumberland and Jasper Tudor and join their forces. But this time, it was the Yorkist faction that was surprised and outmaneuvered just outside of Wakefield in Yorkshire. The end result was the deaths of Richard Plantagenet, the Duke of York, and his son, Edmund Plantagenet, Rest in peace, Duke of York. <laughs> Jesus.
1: I mean, that's one way to the be like, Ur- uh, <laughs> hell no, foot <laughs> down, my son is now back in the last succession.
0: The Earl of Salisbury is captured at this battle and executed as a traitor. Rest in peace, Earl of Warwick's father. <laughs> and afterwards, their heads were placed on spikes on the city gates of York to serve as a warning for what happened to traitors. A paper crown was placed on the head of Richard Plantagenet in mockery of his kingly presumptions.
1: Oh damn.
0: <laughs> wow, that's just <laughs> Yeah, they were like Don't you don't rebel don't against us. No. You don't think you're a king? Here's your paper I mean, crown.
1: Does that even work ever though? I mean you gotta you gotta think that they see well, so many just, heads on spikes and they're like,
0: there's just one problem. Yeah. Richard, Richard Plantagenet's eldest son, Edward and the Earl of Salisbury's eldest son, Richard Neville, the Earl of Work, have become the new champions of the York cause. Meanwhile, Margaret and her son made their way south from Scotland and joined up with the Plantagenet army led by Jasper Tudor and the Earl of Northumberland. And This is probably where she makes her biggest mistake. So as we've already talked about, the people who always suffer the most during Civil War, the peasantry, yeah, So as the army is making its way down south towards London, it is marching through York territory and it's completely ravaging the countryside to both feed the army as well as punish the Yorks for rebelling against the crown. It is said that as the soldiers plundered the towns they passed, Margaret and her lieutenants did nothing to stop them. In fact, they may have encouraged it. Yeah, that's a...
1: Yeah, That's problematic
0: on so many levels. So as this is happening, word is spreading across the kingdom of a Plantagenet army and a Red Queen ravaging the English people. Not a great look for Margaret. Mm. Nope.
1: Nope. Especially since she already doesn't have their favor simply because she's a woman. And French. And French. (laughs) Trying to
0: take charge. (laughs) Meanwhile, Edward Plantagenet is now coordinating his own army to intercept Margaret's army before it can reach London. Both armies end up converging on the town of St. Albans a second time, and you once again have fighting between the Lancastrian and Yorkist factions in the streets. The victory goes to the the Lancastrian forces this time, who take Henry VI back into their control and reunite him with his queen and their son. He was apparently sitting completely docilely under a tree.
1: No, (laughs) just
0: chilling. Just
1: hanging out <laughs> and the, you know. the
0: just I'm just gonna almost here. He had his bubbles, you know he was just blowing them, I'm having a good time. It was a beautiful sunny day. <laughs> Rare for London or England. same.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh wow. Well. I mean, we shouldn't be laughing. because It's horrible, but it's that's so bad, but it's it's such a great visual. Uh, it's a comic comic visual for sure.
0: So, following their victory at St. Albans, Margaret and Henry VI marched on the city of London. But this time they found themselves rejected by the citizens. Rumors of the plundering done by the Plantagenet army in northern England had reached London. And now they were too afraid that the royalist army would do the same to them. So, like Empress Matilda, Margaret and Henry VI are denied entry. Go you
1: fuck yourself and your bullshit. <laughs> We don't want
0: it in here. <laughs> They're forced to retreat back north of the city. Isn't that
1: amazing that when people rise up,
0: they can mm-hmm. actually do something? What a thing. How weird. If only, you know, we stopped fighting each other. And...
1: Yeah, weird. Right?
0: Oh, well, clever. what happened? I wonder. Right. <laughs> so while Margaret's forces were repelled, Edward Plantagenet and his cousin Warwick received completely different reception in London. The city opened its gates for the York faction, having declared for the young Duke of York. And so, this is the point in history where the young Edward Plantagenet emerges as the new contender for Henry VI's replacement, with his cousin, the Earl of Warwick, at his side about to be named for a kingmaker. Mm -hmm. Edward was everything Henry VI was not. The chroniclers noted that he was incredibly handsome, tall and athletic, while also being politically astute. He was charming, a recently proven battle commander, and perhaps more importantly, in full possession of his faculties.
1: He had his wits about him. It's
0: weird. (laughs) He looked the part of a king, and on March 4th, 1461, he was crowned in London as King Edward IV of England.
1: Max Irons is playing him. He (laughs) looks the part of (laughs) the king. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) So Margaret's worst fears have been realized, and now England has two kings. One is a simpleton, ruled by his wife and utterly incapable of fighting at the head of his own army. The other is young and virile, and unlike Henry VI, when the Lancastrian and Yorkist armies came together to fight, the York king is fully present at the head of his army and fights with his men in the field. While the other ones sitting by the tree. <laughs> <laughs> are really nice. On March twenty fourteen sixty one. The two factions face off against one another outside of a Yorkshire village named Toton. The Lancastrian faction is led by the Duke of Somerset and the Earl of Northumberland. Their king hides behind his queen's skirts from the safety of the city walls of York. The York faction is led by the young king himself, Edward IV, and his cousin Warwick, now named the Kingmaker. Margaret can only wait anxiously for news of the battle to arrive. And when it does arrive, it's bad. It's very bad. It's
1: real bad.
0: <laughs> the Battle of Toton was probably medieval England's most devastating battle. Approximately 50,000 men fought on the field. And the estimated number of casualties range anywhere between 28,000 and 38,000. Jesus, that's more than half. I can do that. That's really bad. <laughs> and the majority of the casu- casualties are Lancastrian. One of them was the Earl of Northumberland himself, but another of, Umber- another of other Lancastrian lords... Are also dead. Fourteen members of the Lancastrian peerage were captured. Margaret of Anjou has lost, and now Edward IV is the indisputable King of England. Wow. It's at this point that Margaret, Henry VI, and their son all flee to Scotland. They are no longer the royal family but fugitives. And so long as they remain alive and at large, Edward the Fourth's Edward reign will never be completely safe. A couple of key Lancastrian leaders also fled Toten and are fugitives. The Dukes of Somerset and Exeter have both fled, along with Jasper Tudor, who at this point is the guardian of a young boy named Henry Henry Tudor that will go on to cause trouble for the Yorks a little later down the road.
1: I'm glad they call him Henry Tudor.
0: We're going to save that for another episode. distinction that I'm (laughs) in love with. Well, it's because he's technically not a royal line. Yeah. He is, but it's through his mother.
1: Yeah, which, how dare you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Margaret eventually flees to the French court with her son, hoping to find some support from her uncle, King Charles VII. But he conveniently dies right before she can get to him. Faster. He's been around for, like, 40 years at this point. It doesn't give him an excuse
1: to just it was, die. It
0: was time. It's inconvenient. <laughs> so his son has now ascended to the throne. This is... Louis XI, who is said to be far more cunning and duplicitous than his father had been, and although he pledges to help her, it does not come cheap. He basically offers her a loan and makes Margaret promise that if she takes the throne of England back for Henry VI, she'll give up Calais in the process. Mm-hmm. And Calais is literally the last remaining French city under English control. Mm-hmm. In London, Edward IV and Warwick have instigated a new propaganda scheme to tarnish the fugitive Lancastrian queen's reputation. This is where you get the tales of her as this ruthless, unrepentant monster. People recall the fact that Lancastrian soldiers had raided the northern countryside during the war, killing people and burning their crops. The subject of her son's paternity also becomes a subject of mockery, as people were keen to suggest that Henry VI was too ignorant to know how to lay with a woman. And so clearly there was no way Edward was his son. Isn't that gross? Yeah. It's just gross.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But also, if you think about it, she was directly or indirectly responsible for their
0: father's death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Much so I mean Yeah. They have a they have a They have reasons, but it's still awful. But it's always, when it's a woman involved, Mm -hmm. it's always... Oh, it's
1: always sexual in nature, yeah. yeah.
0: That's the part that I'm just like, you have plenty with her just being this ruthless asshole that was killing people.
1: Yeah. You could have left it if she was rampaging and and probably instigating, but...
0: So, (laughs) some of the slander clearly had slivers of truth in it at least as far as the destructive nature of war goes, the propaganda was deliberate in pointing out the frailties of of female leadership. And so, of course, her personal conduct becomes a source of malicious speculation. The fact that she has fled to France only serves to to fan the flames as well. Here is yet another foreign queen cavorting with the ancient French enemy. Margaret spent the next couple of years exiled in France, mulling over her defeat, but never giving up hope of reclaiming the throne again for her husband and and their son. And over the years, the Lancastrians continued to suffer more devastating defeats. The Duke of Somerset continued to lead a paltry rebellion against the Yorkist faction, but he was killed in one of the battles. Henry VI has been left behind in Scotland when Margaret and their son fled to France. The small guard of attendants remaining to him moved him from castle to castle in the northern counties of England that remained sympathetic to the Lancastrian cause. He manages to evade capture for a couple of years, but eventually the Yorks found him and took him back to London where he was imprisoned in the Tower of London.
1: I, for a second, I was so confused. I was like, wait, why is he going from castle? I thought he was in the Tower of London, but that didn't happen yet. It just happened. It just happened.
0: Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they, kudos to them for being able to move him. For it as seemed long pretty as easy to just lift him and go. Right, they're bombing
1: the, so the pony, Henry. tree that we want you to sit under. <laughs> just look at the tree, it's beautiful. We'll sit at the
0: tree. <laughs> so, this was the victory that should have been the nail in the provo- proverbial coffin for the Lancastrian cause. Edward IV had the rival Lancastrian king locked away in the tower. Meanwhile, Henry VI, troublesome queen, and their son were impoverished and exiled in France. That should have been the end of it, and perhaps it would have if it weren't for the infighting within his own camp that followed when Edward IV decided to take Elizabeth Woodsville for his queen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Unless the White Queen begins. <laughs> <laughs> TV show from stars, if anyone's curious. It's beautiful. It's
1: also based on books.
0: I'm going to try and keep this short and sweet because this may be another story I tell later down the road. Edward IV married Elizabeth Woodville. Had completely disrupted the alliance Warwick had planned between England and France. Warwick had intended to, to deliver yet another sort of French princess to England and instead got a huge broad of ambitious Woodville's. Brood. Suck my dick. Later. <laughs> <laughs> what color would you like to <laughs> As Elizabeth Woodville's family gained more prominence in the Yorkist court, it served to disenfranchise both Warwick and Edward IV's younger brother, George, the Duke of Clarence. It seemed that George had his own designs for the crown. His troublesome ambitions would go on to plague Edward's reign long after the Lancastrians were dealt with once and for all. Spoiler, this was yeah. a happy story. It gets <laughs> Warwick was by far the bigger He was a very ambitious man and had been at the head of the Yorkist fraction. 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 (laughs) It is fracturing. (laughs) Faction from the start, back when Edward's father had been the face of their opposition. He had a shrewd political mind and had a notorious short temper. For his loyalty, he'd been rewarded with the titles of Captain of Calais, Great Chamberlain, Admiral of England, and the Warden of the Borderlands, with Scotland and all the wealth and power you'd expect to come from such titles. And yet, it seemed he always wanted more. So that's the problem with ambitious people. They don't (laughs) stop being
1: ambitious. Once they hit goals, they find new goals. And sometimes those new goals do
0: not have anything to do with (laughs) you. Precisely. So the Earl of Warwick had been named for a kingmaker, and indeed it was very unlikely Edward IV would have been able to take the throne of England had he not had his cousin at his side. But just as the man could make a king, he could also unmake a king. The thing that makes the War of the Roses so interesting is the fact that it was so convoluted and you had people intermittently switching sides throughout the years. Friends became fast enemies and enemies fast became, well, not friends per se, but reluctant allies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just say it friend.
0: As the strife between Edward IV and Warwick continues to grow, Margaret is watching closely in France and moving patiently. And in time, a very unlikely alliance is facilitated by Louis XI in France, an alliance that most would have deemed unfathomable. Warwick's daughter Anne Neville is betrothed to Margaret and Henry VI's son, Edward of Westminster.
1: That always threw me for a loop when I, whenever I watched The White Queen. Where I'm just like after everything again with the after everything. He
0: just wanted. The he power. just wanted power.
1: Yeah, and he threw his daughters to the wolves to get
0: it. Yep. Great dude. After he's Yeah, he's a great guy. So neither Margaret nor Warwick were happy for this alliance. She was directly responsible for the deaths of Warwick's father and brother, and he in turn was responsible for the deaths of several of her closest allies and friends but both were anything if not cunning. They did not have to like one another. They merely had to prove mutually useful. In Margaret, Warwick had an opportunity to get revenge against Edward IV for disenfranchising him and potentially place his own daughter on the throne of England. And in Warwick, Margaret had an uneasy but powerful and influential ally that could lead a coup against the current king and place her husband back on his rightful throne. I love that scene
1: in the White Queen when they meet in that room for the first yes. time. It was such, such a good scene. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so when Warwick and Margaret finally meet face to face in the French Chateau of Angers, she apparently made him kneel before her for 15 minutes. Yes. The disgust on her face plain as day the actress who
1: played (laughs) her she's so good she did such a good job where you're like you hate her but you're also just like (laughs)
0: like i hate you but i kind of i hate you you, but i admire (laughs) you (laughs) anne and edward of westminster were betrothed margaret would not would not leave for england right away warwick was to prove himself first by traveling to england alone and removing edward the fourth from the throne and replace him with her husband only after he secured the throne for her husband would she and her son return to England with their fleet. At that point, it was agreed that Margaret's now 16-year-old son would be his father's regent, and he was of an age to rule himself, and to secure Wark's loyalty, Anne Neville was to remain in the care of her new husband and mother-in-law. And Wark did just that. Frustrated by more disenchanted Yorkist supporters deflecting to the Lancastrian cause, Warwick turned the tide against Edward IV, who was forced to flee England and sail for the Netherlands to seek asylum. His queen, Elizabeth Woodville, fled to Westminster Abbey while pregnant amidst riots in London. When Warwick reached London, he had King Henry VI retrieve from the tower and restored him to the royal palace. On October 13, 1470, Warwick himself placed the crown atop a bewildered Henry VI's head.
1: Also, a good scene where you just feel really bad for Henry. You feel so
0: bad for yeah. him. It doesn't get better. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the Lancastrians were officially back in power. It was an unsteady power, spearheaded by Yorkist deflectors with dubious intentions. But it was the the best that Margaret could have hoped for. When she and her son, along with Warwick's daughter Anne Neville, were finally ready to sail for England. They were met with foreboding storms that continually pushed their boat back towards France.
1: The universe is like, no, stay here. I feel like
0: every time this comes up in our story, I'm like, y'all are about to die. Yeah, right?
1: <laughs> the universe is trying to help you out and give you nice, easy warnings, That you just completely
0: ignore it. It gets worse. Oh. <laughs> the same storm that had continually blown Margaret and her son off course helped to facilitate the return of Edward IV at the head of a small contingent of Burgundy forces. So his exile had led him to Burgundy, which was the known enemy of France. Yet another story I don't have time to tell, but
1: yeah. Did you kind of sort of tell it in the last one?
0: Yeah, it gets worse after that. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> They'll remain the enemy of France for a long time. Warwick rode to meet the newly returned king at the Battle of Barnet. Amidst a field of fog, Lancastrian forces were said to have attacked their own men amidst the the confusion. Warwick attempted to flee. He was pulled from his horse and had a dagger thrust through the visor of his helm. The kingmaker was officially dead. Margaret and the reinforcements she brought made landfall an hour later on English soil, but it was too little too late. She received word almost immediately of Warwick's death. And just like that, all the planning that had lasted approximately 10 months had gone up in flames. There was little time to dwell on it. Margaret and her son made for Wales, where they intended to meet up with Jasper Tudor and the Lancastrian opposition he'd been forming. Edward IV and his forces were fast on their heels and chased them across England. And eventually, Edward's army caught up to Margaret's. While she retreated behind the walls of a nearby monastery... It was her 17-year-old son's turn to take over the Lancastrian army. And so the two Edwards clashed in one final battle for control of the English throne. And it was there that Margaret of Anjou's 17-year-old son, Edward of Westminster, was killed on the field at the Battle of Tewkesbury, and with him went the last of the fight she had in her. Margaret was captured three days later. She did not fight her captors and went obediently, if stoically. Edward IV rode back to London with the Lancastrian Queen in captivity. A day after their arrival, Henry VI was found dead in a tower. The official word was that Henry VI had died from melancholy after hearing about his son's death. But the prevailing rumor that remains to this day was that Henry VI had been murdered in his sleep upon the York King's orders. Nobody dies
1: naturally in the Tower of London.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. And indeed, if you've seen the White Queen on Stars, this moment is dramatized by Edward IV smothering Henry VI with a pillow, while his brothers George and Richard watched. And his wife Elizabeth terrified. Yeah, understandably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid this difficult damsel had a fairly sad and anticlimactic ending. We're gonna we're gonna learn about a lot of women who did badass things in their lifetime, but not every badass woman gets get yeah. ending,
1: yeah yeah
0: and this is one of them she remained a comfortable prisoner of Edward IV for 4 years before a treaty with France secured her freedom and she was allowed to return to her home in Anjou she was penniless during the last 7 years of her life a disenfranchised queen that had fought tooth and nail for her husband and her son's legacy only to have it ruthlessly squashed she died on August 25th 1482 at the age of 52 and was buried next to her father in Anjou. Shortly after she died, Edward IV died unexpectedly of a stroke at the age of 40. Some say you reap what you sow, and the Yorks had brought a curse upon themselves by supposedly killing the old Lancastrian king in his sleep. Edward's 12-year-old son would have been Edward V, and along with his younger brother, had been captured and murdered by Edward IV's youngest brother and most trusted lieutenant, Richard of Gloucester, and the scandal that would become known as the Princes in the Tower. Richard of Gloucester became King Richard III after usurping the throne from his nephew, and will go on to become one of England's most reviled and and nefarious kings. His queen would be Anne Neville, Margaret of Anjou's former daughter-in-law. Richard III's short reign lasted two years before Jasper Tudor's nephew, Henry Tudor, came to rally the last of the Lancastrian cause against the villainous York King. Richard III would be the last King of England to lose his life on the battlefield. In his place, Henry Tudor would ascend to the throne of England and marry Edward IV's eldest daughter, Elizabeth of York. This would finally mark the end of the War of the Roses. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) So even though, I don't know, I like to think of it as yeah, Margaret doesn't get a happy ending, but that do the Yorks. No. Fuck them.
1: No, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so question time. I decided to change it up a little bit. How dare you? <laughs> so, given what you know about the Lancastrian side of the war now, who do you sympathize more with in the War of the Roses? And who is your preferred queen? Margaret of Anjou, the Red Queen, or Elizabeth Woodville, the White Queen? I know this is unfair for our listeners because they don't. Unless you know about the War of the Roses, you probably don't know about Elizabeth Woodville. But sorry, this one's for us. This one's for us.
1: <laughs> well, honestly, I I
0: can't I can't
1: get away from the White Queen. You
0: just like Rebecca first. Oh, I know it's bad.
1: I'm She's in love. Beautiful.
0: She's gorgeous.
1: <laughs> no, I'm mean, gonna I do like Elizabeth Woodville. Oh, she was. Those... Mm-hmm nothing essentially and rose to be a queen and, yeah. and the way it was played off in the white queen she was a badass in her own right and
0: yeah I, I may cover her one day I yeah. kind of want to cover her mom I'm definitely gonna do I love her
1: mom can we please talk about their magic different time but anyway <laughs> yeah I'm
0: definitely gonna do Margaret Beaufort but <laughs> I feel like at some point down the road yeah
1: I mean I do sympathize with with Margaret Anjou. And I think it is badass the way she was just like, fuck this. My husband can sit on his throne and blow his bubbles and I am going to be in charge. <laughs> yeah. And she, I mean, everything she did sounds like it was for her son. Like, obviously mm-hmm. for herself to keep herself yeah. in the game. But
0: well, for it's her, also like, her husband. That's the thing we learn with... Fighting for the throne—it's literally you're fighting for your life. Yeah. So she knew, like, if they capture her, they'd probably kill her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I I do I do love both women Mm -hmm. who played both women. They were they were both awesome and very strong characters. But I think I still like Elizabeth Woodville just because
0: I fall on the side of Margaret of Anjou. Of course you do. (laughs) I remember there's a podcast called the Queens of England and it goes through each of the queen consorts. And I remember I had seen the white queen. So I knew everything about Elizabeth Woodville. But I didn't really know much about Margaret of Anjou. Yeah. And then I listened to the Margaret of Anjou episode. This was years ago. And I was like, Holy crap. Like I feel so bad for her. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I don't know, both factions sucked.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounded like, the York faction was stronger in the beginning. And then obviously they like yeah. to just utter.
0: That's what happens when you have too many sons, mm-hmm. you are not, wrong. and then their children marry each other. Yeah. It's weird. awkward. And yeah. Weird. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. They, they kind of tapered off and got really awful really fast, but
0: yeah, it's kind of funny how it's like two sons. Yeah. Like Henry the eighth, didn't have enough sons. Yeah, <laughs> and then the rest of them had too many. Too many. Two sons, an heir, and a spare. <laughs> don't kill the rest. <laughs> don't kill the rest. Don't do that. That's bad. <laughs> but Yeah. Oh man. I don't know. I just I felt bad because she, again, most of these women didn't have a choice. Well, yeah. In the life they ended up with, Elizabeth Woodville is different because yeah, she did. She made sure she was kind of like Anne and she yeah. was like. I'm not going to be your mistress. You either yeah. marry me, or I'm not having sex with you. <laughs> Boom. He's like, it's okay, my belt <laughs> is
1: staying on until you figure your shit out.
0: <laughs> um, so she's she's unique to history in that regard. She was also the first quote-unquote common woman. Yeah. But like, I'm like, she was still a lady. Yeah, she Whatever. was still a noble. But it was a big deal. They were like, she a common woman. Whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I'm still... I lean a little bit more towards Margaret of Anjou just because the odds were completely stacked against her. But yeah, I like Elizabeth Woodville too. And we'll. Cover I, I
1: think Margaret, Margaret made Elizabeth. I don't know if it's actual, but she had a lot of people helping her and yes. like leading her to the decisions and a lot of experienced people who lived through all the
0: her family. court life. And yeah, yeah and she had Margaret, a lot of
1: support. And Margaret did it by herself. So I will say in that yeah. aspect. Definitely Margaret Bonju. Yeah.
0: Alright, and then our other question. And then is we have a fun question. A cat question. <laughs> it's a cat question.
1: <laughs> so this is again from that uh, that Facebook group. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the group because I, I should probably give them some kudos. Uh, it's paranormal and fantasy romance book lovers. Wow. You judge <laughs> okay. the shit out of me if you'd like. <laughs> uh, and it's an icebreaker question. I don't so are you judge. ready for this?
0: I am so on. ready. So the question is.
1: Would you rather ride a dragon or a unicorn with wings, aka a fucking Pegasus? But it's we'll, 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 beside the point.
0: I'm going second. You answer it first. You know your answer. <laughs>
1: um, I would, I would definitely ride a dragon because dragons are badass.
0: Maybe Katniss Targaryen. Yeah. Katniss Targaryen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. No, I've just always had a fascination dragon. with
0: dragons. And yeah,
1: unicorns just don't do it for me. I, have wings. I love
0: both. I do.
1: I yeah. I mean, I
0: like both. But if I
1: had the choice to ride one, yeah, it's definitely going to be a dragon. Even though it's probably really uncomfortable to it's, ride a dragon.
0: It's funny because in um in The Song of Ice and Fire, when they describe Daenerys riding Drogon, it's very erotic. Of course, it is because <laughs> he's warm <laughs> between her legs. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> that sounds Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I I remember the scene. It was a really good. It was very well written. Yeah. But I was like Oh, uh, uh. do you need a moment to yourself? I also
1: I also love how there's so many different ways to imagine a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine dragons. let oh, see where they got no, the name. Where, but no, there's just so many different ways to they picture don't. dragons. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, sometimes and sometimes, sometimes they, they have like, scales. Sometimes they have feathers. Sometimes they have bat wings. Like, there's just so many different ways to. What? What's your dragon look like? Um, I definitely like the bat wing aspect with the talons at the end because, duh. um but I definitely like the the y scales and. But I also like
0: the fact that they have feathers too. So. Fire dragon or ice dragon or something else.
1: Probably ice dragon only because the colors that are associated with ice dragons are like blues and purples and, and silver. Feathers. Yeah, and silvers yeah, and I like I like that palette. But I mean, nice. shit, dude, I'll collect them all. They'll be my Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> all right, so I'm really excited. About your answer because I know
0: your answer. Oh, <laughs> my answer is another. I, I know I'm going to make a lot of her answers, answer is none of the options above my. But draw. it's very neat. It is so. Mine would be a cat dragon.
1: <laughs> you can have Anya. I'm totally putting wings on Anya
0: one Halloween. Doing. Oh my
1: god. Okay. okay. And cat little
0: <laughs> So so the reason I say that is this is legitimately a thing with me. So um. With my ex-boyfriend, I used to spend Christmases with his family, and I remember they were really cool. They'd always ask like what I liked because they wanted to make sure to get me something I liked. And his sister-in-law was like, "Well, what do you like?" And I was like, "Well, I like cats and I like dragons." <laughs> and she was like, "So you like cat dragons?" And I was like,
1: "Like, I never thought about it like that, but now yes,
0: yes, 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 I do. I don't even." what would that even look like amazing and then so it became, it became a thing so she she legitimately I don't think she ever found a cat dragon but it was, it was the thing we used to laugh about and after that I always cat dragons was just a thing think, every
1: time you say cat dragons I always I always think a toothless from how to ride your dragon
0: so one of my back when I was trying to online date I don't do it anymore Ugh. sorry god
1: you you there's last a, long
0: there's a pandemic going on no but <laughs> one of my usernames was cat dragon yes it was of course <laughs> i got some interesting messages like i also
1: still owe cat her dragon?
0: cat yeah. dragon i have the drawing Lightning. you have that you i drew had. it was like it
1: was like a cat bat dragon
0: yeah it was like a cartoon but i have yeah. it it's at my um yes. my desk at work yes I have it. <laughs> that makes me happy um I was in a D and D role playing game with some friends, and I made a druid character. She was this feral druid yes. who had no social skills whatsoever. That, that makes me happy. Based in the woods. Yes. And her companion was a cat dragon. Hell yeah! So yeah, that's my answer. So maybe
1: now that I have this loft space,
0: yes, make my fucking cat dragon. Okay. You promised me. That's
1: very aggressive. And now I don't want to do it. <laughs>
0: Please, I want a cat dragon. Anyone out there, either a dude with a beach house or a cat dragon. I thought you were going to ask him for a portrait. I was like,
1: fuck off, it's going to get to you eventually. I am low
0: maintenance, I don't require much.
1: This is bullshit on every level. i a cat
0: dragon. She doesn't
1: require much from her boyfriends, from her girlfriends, on the other hand.
0: I just want a cat dragon. <laughs> Is that so much to ask? Yes. Um, <laughs> Alright guys. Well thank you for hanging out with us.
1: Rachel brought Jock 2.0 with her goddamn pants.
0: I did. They were so comfy I got them with purple. No, Jock two 0.
1: oh Jacqueline. Jacqueline.
0: And Jacqueline. Oh
1: no, it's talking to me. We should go. <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening.
0: This has been difficult, damsels. Please rate and review us and subscribe. This is how we get the podcast out there. Please, please. tell all your friends. Yes, tell your all friends. your frenemies. Hey, thank you to my aunt Madison. She um she keeps like posting Spotify reviews. I really appreciate Yay, that. Thank you. I see it.
1: You're amazing. Thank I took you. I also took pictures. Yes. this round because my house <laughs> isn't that devastatingly full of boxes, so we'll you all the fun
0: can find us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com.
1: We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Mostly Facebook, because kind of hate Instagram for business, because I haven't figured it out. I don't do Twitter, so yeah. No. that'll happen when we get a media Never. specialist. Yeah. If anyone wants to work for free. Actually, I... somebody
0: offered. My friend, we'll talk about whoa. it.
1: Okay. Hi, Mandy.
0: Who? Mandy. Oh, hey, Mandy! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, everyone stay safe and stay difficult. Yep. Thanks guys.